There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Yes, 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 yes. Welcome into the Tim McKernan Show. I am your host, Tim McKernan, alongside with the executive producer of this fine program, John Seymour, a.k.a. the Seamaster. Welcome in for another podcast here on the Inside STL Podcast Network. I am really looking forward to this one today. It's one that I've wanted to do before we even started things up. I really wanted to sit down with Clay Travis and and not discuss you know, the debacle at, at my alma mater, uh, the University of Missouri, uh, not even discuss, you know, the SEC, college football in general, whatever topic du jour that has Clay going. I wanted to talk to Clay himself about his career because I'm legitimately fascinated by it. And so Clay was in St. Louis, where we are based out of, and uh, where I do my morning drive radio show every day. And he came in uh, and I said, hey, while you're in town, can we get together and do an interview? And he said, sure, absolutely. So uh, we got together in the studio to sit down and talk. And it was one of those situations where I knew he had to be somewhere. And he sits down and he's kind of, I can tell he's kind of rushed. And he says, hey, if we can do this in less than 30 minutes, that'd be great. And then he's kind of checking some things on his phone. I'm like, I really want to get into some stuff, but if he's rushed and if he's got to get out of here and he's got some distractions going on with texts or emails, maybe we're not going to be able to to get into what I would like to get into. Um, and fortunately, I think, as you will hear over the course of 40 minutes, so I abused uh, the request of 30, we wound up going 40 or so minutes, uh, you will hear that we did get into a lot of the introspective stuff uh, on his career that I, I wanted to hear from him on. Cause I know a lot of people uh, love clay. And I also know a lot of people hate clay and clay is well aware of the fact that plenty of people hate clay. And we discussed that. So we talked about what went on to get him from being an attorney in 2004 in the U S Virgin islands to being essentially a college football, SEC specifically, um, aficionado without kick the coverage, to where he is now, where he is being debated nationally for his comments on CNN or his comments on Colin Kaepernick or his comments on Michael Bennett, whatever the case might be, these days, a lot of people outside of college football know who Clay Travis is. How did that happen? And recently, a guy who five years ago made his first appearance on our morning drive show in St. Louis uh, solely to talk about Missouri's first year in the SEC is getting a feature article written about him in Politico magazine. As a matter of fact, uh, dated September 2017, uh, Politico did a an in-depth feature on Clay. Uh, some of it, I think, would be considered complimentary, but plenty of it 
I think Clay uh, was not happy with, and we will discuss that over the course of the next 40 minutes. So uh, I know me as the person asking questions, uh, I can speak from my perspective that when I said, yeah, we're going to be interviewing Clay Travis, I had I had people reach out to me and said, I can't believe you're interviewing Clay Travis. Well, I would sit down with anybody. I happen to like Clay, and I have a great deal of respect for the business he has built. Um, if you're in this industry and you know the game and how difficult the game can be to play, uh, I don't think you can have anything but respect for at least his business model. I think you can do that while at the same time disagreeing with some of the things that he says, but that doesn't make him bad and you good or vice versa. Uh, I think it's healthier to discuss it as opposed to simply condemn. But I realize plenty of people won't agree with my sentiment on that. So that's why I wanted to sit down with him, uh, because over the last year or so, um, I feel like he has gone from a guy who, when we would have on and we would talk about issues, you didn't know where he was going to come out. And then recently, I feel like, is he just playing to a certain audience because he knows the audience, that audience is going to love his perspective? And that's what I wanted to get into, along with uh, this surge in recognition, not necessarily popularity. I think there's a difference in this surge in recognition and what it means to him, but also to his family and uh, threats that he gets. And we get into that as well. So that is all part of what you're going to hear over the next 40 minutes. I don't even know if we talk more than 30 seconds about college football. Maybe we do. Uh, no, we don't. My producer is, is shaking his head. So that gives you an idea of what this is. This isn't, hey, what's going on with Barry Odom? What's going on with Butch Jones? Don't talk about it. Uh, I was more interested in, in Clay, what he has built, what his thoughts are on his current status in media, not just sports media, and what his vision is for what he wants to do going forward. So you're going to hear that. And as we have said throughout the course of the start of this podcast, the key to this podcast and the key to any uh, media business is the advertisers. And we are thrilled to have Ryan Kelly, the home loan expert, as our studio sponsors here on the Tim McKernan Show. Ryan Kelly has been the title sponsor of our morning drive show in St. Louis for years. And now he is the studio sponsor of the Tim McKernan Show podcast. He is online at the homeloanexpert.com. A great guy who has built a successful business and I have personally done business with and recommended to my family members as well. And so therefore, I don't hesitate to recommend him to you. Did you know that the average American household has over $16,000 in credit card debt and over 70% of households have the equity in their home to get rid of it right now? With a cash out refinance with the Home Loan Expert team, you can get those credit cards paid off once and for all. It's all from Ryan Kelly, the home loan expert online at thehomeloanexpert.com. Ryan Kelly and the Home Loan Expert team work hard so you don't have to. If you're looking to refinance or purchase a home, why would you go anywhere else? Call Ryan at 314-781-9700. That's 314-781-9700. Or visit thehomeloanexpert.com. He is the sponsor of our studios here on the Tim McKernan Show. So, over the course of 40 minutes, we cover tons of things with Clay Travis. Settle in, enjoy it, and we'll come out on the other side of it and discuss what we heard. Here is Clay Travis with me here on the Tim McKernan Show. First time you're on our show, 
I think it was 2012. Missouri just goes into the SEC. Yes. And my producer at the time goes, oh, you got to get this Clay Travis guy on. He's the best on SEC and college football. And I'm like, sweet, we have you on. I'm like, oh, this guy is outstanding. But I didn't know there was a whole backstory to how you got into it. And then I look at who you are in 2017 versus 2012, and it's like a whole new thing. How in the hell did you go from college football guy to, I don't even know what the hell it is, but it's yeah, a, it's opinionist a, it, in the world at large. I, I think uh, the country's gone a little bit crazy, right? And um, I have always written and talked about what people care about a lot, it seems like to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, everything kind of, I think starting at about 2015-ish, sports and politics almost became indistinguishable. Yeah, And so if you're talking about the Mizzou protest, for instance... It's also hard not to find yourself in some way involved in larger societal trends and larger societal issues. And then, you know, Michael, Sam, Caitlyn Jenner, uh, the uh, Colin Kaepernick protest. I think the idea that sports represented a different sphere kind of vanished. And uh, and so everything got rolled in together. Athletes became more politically active. Obviously, Donald Trump and his rise was a big part of this. And uh I think I've just kind of followed that wave of politicization of everything. And to me, what I've been, and some people disagree with this, obviously, is a reasonable voice in a sea of insanity. Yeah. I think that uh, one of the things that I thought was most complimentary from my standpoint in uh, that in-depth political article that came out was Bobby Bones, who's had great success yeah, as well, based dude. out of Nashville. So you yeah. know him. And his studio is next door to oh, mine, is that right? so I've really? gotten to know him pretty well. Yeah. And his quote in there, I think I think this sums up even people who disagree with you, which is, when I first heard him and he was ripping food stamps? I don't think, I think that was making a joke about uh, about Alabama or Arkansas. No. <laughs> I think that, but it, but it was uh, it was making a joke about how something, I, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was making fun of those fans, but yeah. Yeah, so he says, initially, I hate him, but the more I listened to him, the more I respected that he was willing to make the arguments. And I think that's, you know, that's the thing that people like, is that you're willing to say some things that people otherwise, and I'm not talking about just fans, obviously yeah. it resonates with fans, but perhaps some media people are like, God, I'd kind of like to talk about it, but I'm worried I'm going to get called a bigot and it could totally destroy my career. Well, I I think that's true. I think there's a lot of people who know that if they just stick to sports, they're not going to lose their job. Now, that's changing now, right? Because so many people are getting laid off in this new modern media environment where everybody's shifting to video and everything else seems to be happening all at once. But I do think that, that there's a great deal of fear and trepidation with the idea of stepping out there and taking an aggressive opinion that isn't related to sports, right? Yeah. It's not necessarily crazy to come out and say, oh, I think uh, Tom Brady is the third best quarterback of all time, right? People may disagree with you and name two other guys, but uh, but you know, you're know you not exactly taking a crazy opinion because it's not really political in any way. And nowadays when you have a Colin Kaepernick, well, that's like touching a third rail. And it's a little bit like a politician who doesn't want to talk about Medicare, doesn't want to talk about uh, gay marriage, or doesn't want to talk about abortion. It's almost like you have to take a side. Yeah. So and I'm listening to you the first few times we had you on. I'm like, this guy, I love it yeah. because he's willing to say what he thinks and he just doesn't really give a damn. And sometimes he's over here on the left and sometimes he's over here on the right. Recently, I feel like it's more on the right. Would you 
agree well, with that assessment, or would you I, I dissent would, from those who say that that's what's going I on? I don't know if that's necessarily the case. I think that politics is cyclical. And back in 9-11, Bill Maher was getting fired because he wasn't patriotic enough. Because remember, he said that the whatever you want to say about the uh, terrorist, you can't say that they were cowards. And they were like, oh, you can't say that and get a television show. I think what has happened is we have moved into a direction where conservatives are more likely to be defending free speech right now. Mm-hmm. And so I would say my positions haven't changed, but the world around me is evolving. And so uh, in 2001, if I were out talking, I would have said, hey, like, I think it's crazy that Bill Maher is getting fired for saying that the terrorists aren't necessarily cowards. In this modern era, I would say I think it's crazy that the standard is clearly different for liberal opinion. It's accepted. But if you're Kurt Schilling and you happen to have a disagreement about North Carolina transgender bathroom laws, you're not allowed to have that opinion. I'm, I'm, I would say that I am just a marketplace of ideas guy. And I believe that everybody should be able to make whatever argument they want and not worry about losing their job so long as it's within somewhat of the quote unquote mainstream, right? Like mm-hmm. obviously if you came out and decided that you were a neo-Nazi, I don't think you should be employed by a mainstream uh, company or similarly, if you were so aggressively on the left that you're like advocating the killing of cops, right? Like because, uh, because of black lives matter or something like that, there are uh, some people say like, what political opinions do you think shouldn't be able to be shared? I think those should be able to be shared, but I think that those are certainly opinions that I don't think a major company should want to be associated with. Mm -hmm. But to me, when I see Kurt Schilling say he disagrees with the North Carolina transgender bathroom law and he is gets fired for it. And then I see Jamel Hill say, that the president of the United States is a white supremacist and everybody that he surrounds himself with is a white supremacist. And also on top of that, uh, all of his supporters are racist too. Like those two stories are, those two opinions are to me, right and left wing opinions, which are acceptable opinions, I would say. But I think Jamel's is more controversial than Kurt Schilling's. And if you're going to fire Kurt Schilling for it, I don't understand how you allow Jamel to say anything. So I just kind of think that the standards of speech should be applied evenly. So as we go along with your career, would you describe your views politically as the same as they were when you voted yeah, for Barack Obama in 2008 I, and 2012? You don't think, look back on that and go, man, I can't believe I voted I don't, for Barack Obama. No, I, I don't think my opinions have changed. I mean, that's why I think it's funny. People are like, oh, Clay Travis, an opportunist. I mean, like, I'm pro-choice. I'm anti-the death penalty, you know. The only thing I would say I've changed on a little bit is maybe I've become a little bit more fiscal conservative. Uh, but I think that was a natural evolution because when you graduate from law school and you start representing big companies, yeah. like you see all these frivolous lawsuits going on and things like that. Um, but I would say that I can't really point to anything right now that I have a belief that's totally different than I would have had in 2008 or 2012. I say in the world of sports, the only opinion that I remember kind of aggressively changing on is I really don't care if college athletes get paid. And prior to Marcus Lattimore blowing out both of his knees, that's something where I say, like, look, my opinion changed. And by the way, I don't think there's anything wrong with having your opinion changed. I think it's kind of crazy that people expect that they're going to have the same opinions their whole life. I'm not saying that what I think at 38 is going to be the same as what I think at 58. Uh, But right now, I would say if 38-year-old Clay Travis talked to 28-year-old Clay Travis, I don't think that there'd be like some amazing schism that exists there where there's been a drastic change. I don't think I've changed at all. I think the country has changed. So when you're on CNN, I don't know when it was, September, I guess, and you drop out the uh, the only two things I believe in absolutely, I'm paraphrasing, of course, because I know this is your, uh, yeah. your go-to, uh, is uh, the First Amendment and boobs. 
and Brooke Baldwin loses it. What 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 went on after that whole thing, as far as CNN's communication with you? Because well, they, offered, they reached out to have yeah, you they come back to on. Come back on Monday, and then they canceled it. Um, but uh, I mean, look, I, I when so why did they cancel it? Uh, I think because of the reaction. But, but why they reach out to have you back on? I, you'd have to ask CNN, yeah. you know, right? I mean, I, I think, look, I mean, it's probably one of the most viral things CNN's ever had. And I didn't do that to be viral. I mean, that's something that I've said for years. And so, uh, you know, she's like, as a woman, how could you say this? And I've said this, you know, to lots of people. I mean, my answer is I talk to men and women the same way. And so uh, I, I wouldn't change anything about that interview from my perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, it obviously worked really well for me. I mean, I added 50,000 Twitter followers in like the space of 48 hours. And, uh, and I think for the people out there who are fans of what I do, it reinforced what I always say. Like, I'm not saying that I'll never apologize yeah. for my opinion because there might be a time where I say something and it comes out differently than I anticipate. But... Um, you know, in general, I would say that I stick by what I say. So when I doubled down on it and tripled down on it, I think a lot of people out there respected that and believed, you know, thank God Clay Travis in this era where I may not agree with everything he says, he actually is willing to stand behind what he believes. And you uh, you or your uh, cohorts pointed out that Brooke uh, had discussed breasts. Keith Reed was the other uh, CNN guest. Uh, yeah, it was a huge was a huge ass man. He was an ass man. Yeah. I also think he was a breast man. It was yeah. Uh, he had all these ridiculous uh, <laughs> tw- you know tweets that he had sent out on his own. So I think what people saw when they actually unpacked that clip was I was the most authentic person on there. I was saying what I actually meant. I wasn't being hypocritical. And I think the other two people on that segment were. And I think again, what I have done to the extent that I've managed it is I try to be as honest as I possibly can for three hours every day on the radio for 30 minutes or so on my daily Periscope and Facebook and when I write. And uh, that is my goal. Um, And so you can criticize me for a lot in terms of you may disagree with my opinions, but not that I'm going to not tell you exactly what I think. And so uh, that was just more evidence that that's what I do. And that's the thing. I'm watching that thing. And whether or not I'm like, I'm like, Clay, oh, God, why the hell? Because I'm like, that's just going to lead to them jumping on it. And then sure enough, they jump on it. I'm like, here we go. It's just like a forced line. But then the like the faux outrage was the thing. I'm just like, oh my god! I yeah, hate look, watching that crap. I would say that she blew that as a person who has hosted shows before. Um, she allowed the show to become derailed on that comment, where it wasn't integral to you know like the inter- <laughs> like my opinion right. that that be my focus. And so um, you know, I think that somebody got in her ear and they were like, you got to stand up to this Donald Trump supporter. Cause that was the other funny thing about it. Like as soon as it went viral, like the left wing is like, this is what happens in Donald Trump's America. And I'm like, that's intriguing. Cause I worked for Al Gore's presidential campaign. <laughs> right. Um, and that's something I would have said for Al Gore too. Um, and I think again, the mass result on that worked in my favor yeah. and people, you know, kind of broke in my direction. And you did not vote for Donald Trump in November. No, I voted for Gary Johnson. Are you considering voting for Donald Trump in 2020? I, I mean, who knows what's going to happen in the next three years? Right. I mean, I, I'm, I am a middle of the road guy. I didn't like Hillary and I didn't like Trump. I have no idea what the options will be like. I frankly, I mean, I think trying to predict what Donald Trump running in 2020 is going to have done for the rest of 17, 18, 19 and into 20 is almost impossible to do. So, look, I'm open to voting in any direction, you know, if I think there's a good political candidate. 
uh, but it's three years away. I mean, I think, you know, it's almost impossible to predict what's going to happen in three weeks, much less three years. Want to welcome a new sponsor to the Tim McKernan Show, James Carlton Agency. James Carlton Agency, State Farm Insurance. Here is a guy who has built up his agency by supporting the community. Uh, he is a supporter of not only this presentation, but also the local community. And he represents the number one company in the industry, State Farm. It's the James Carlton Agency. Text quote to 314-961-4800. That's 314-961-4800. You have to have insurance already. Why not make the switch to a local business that's a supporter of the Tim McKernan Show and of the local community and also represents the number one company in the industry? And James Carlton has achieved the chairman's circle two years in a row. And it's like the Lombardi Trophy of State Farm agents. Only two agencies in the St. Louis area can say that. James Carlton can. I was in his office a few days ago, and I met the team, a massive team of seven. And James prides the fact that they get like one voicemail a month. And I go, well, what's so great about that? And he goes, well, that means we're always answering calls. And that means people aren't talking to machines or having to leave voicemails. That's why he has the team he does to make sure things get done. It's James Carlton, the James Carlton Agency, State Farm Insurance, text quote, to 314-961-4800, and one of his incredible team members will reach out or visit carltoninsurance.net. If your insurance costs a leg and an arm, then call James Carlton State Farm. For as successful as you've been without kick, for as successful as the show has been, Fox Sports, to be clear, offered you yeah. that morning show that Nick Wright and Chris Carter are doing. Yeah. But the... They've offered, was, me, they've offered me multiple shows. Now, they offered me the morning show a couple of years ago. Uh, and uh, and then they offered me another show in February. And the request was that I not talk about anything other than sports. Um, and I turned it down. So uh, that's one of the funny things I think also is that I get criticized for, you know, people are like, oh, Clay Travis doesn't believe what he says. He's selling out. Like, literally... I chose not to sell out to be able to say exactly what I think. And uh, that, I think, is... But uh, you would have had to move to L.A., right? Am I right? Probably. Yeah. yeah. You didn't want to do that. Not necessarily, no. But, I mean, look, I mean, in general, um, I would say most people or a lot of people in sports media want to do television at some point. And uh, I'm happy doing what I do. And I've got a good life in Nashville. And, uh, you know, I've had opportunities in TV. Maybe they'll emerge again. If they don't, then I'm very happy doing what I do now. But to me, I'm looking at that. If I'm Fox Sports and I'm trying to make a mark in what's going to be a tough time slot anyway, yeah. what does it matter if you don't stick to sports? Well, I agree. I mean, and, and my position in general has, has been that I know markets, right? And I understand what, uh, what works. And so let me do what I do. And if you're not going to let me do what I do, then I'm not certainly going to sign up. I think the benefit of having some success, it's not like I'm – insanely successful or anything but the benefit of having some success is it gives you options and unlike you know 15 years ago where I would have done anything to make uh, an extra ten thousand dollars now what matters the most to me is having creative control and the ability to say exactly what I think I think that matters a great deal I think that matters to my audience and so I'm not going to leap at every opportunity that's out there the thing that I always like when you're on and we start getting into sports media business I love discussing it because we've done something similar independent i had a television opportunity in new york city turned yeah. it down because i prefer doing my own thing albeit in st louis you're doing it in nashville but you're on a national show now and killing it 
But you wrote when ESPN had all those layoffs outside of the ESPN struggles, you got to start controlling your own destiny by going out and generating your own revenue. Because if you don't do it, it doesn't matter how good you think your show is. If you don't generate revenue and don't impact your bottom line, realistically, you're replaceable. And I love hearing that discussion. But you learned that in 2011. You were writing for Fan House. And they shut us down. And they shut you down. But you're still doing a show in Nashville, right? And you're making $40,000 a year. $40,000 a year. So, so at that point, you you're 32, you have two kids at yeah. the time, and you're like, so at that point, you're like, man, do I need to go back into law? What are you thinking? Yeah, what are you uh, and your wife talking about? That's, I mean, I think that's what the decision that a lot of people have in their lives um, is, are you doing something that's going to provide a good enough living for your family? And when you've got two young kids like I did and a wife, and you're in your 30s and you're making $40,000 a year, you got law school loans. I got a mortgage. I mean, I got a lot of, you know, like anybody out there who is a, who is a dad or a mom and has a couple of kids. I mean, you're not just responsible for yourself anymore. And that's when I decided to start OutKick. And that's really when I've always had the idea. I think, you know, a lot of creative people don't pay attention to where the money comes from. Right. I couldn't agree more. And it's, so, it drives me. I try to help and say, you got to, it's a great idea. How are you going to make money on it? Right. Otherwise it's a hobby. Yes. And so I think. That's true, certainly, for writers. I think it's true for radio people. I think it's true for TV people. They don't think, you know, they're, they just like getting that check from a company. And they don't think about what motivates the work and where it comes from. And I think maybe having been in a law firm, I was helped somewhat there because in a law firm, you're, you have a billable hour. So yeah. it's easy to look at an individual lawyer and figure out exactly what they're worth to a firm. And I think a lot of people, it's hard to do that, right? If you work at a big company, what's your value? What's your replacement value if you want to use like a uh, a baseball term? Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I think that uh, I think that what I recognized was ultimately I'm in the business of selling words, either spoken or written, and I want to sell that that for as much as I possibly can. In order to control my future, I need to have my own business, and so I started Outkick. And that has made a tremendous difference, obviously, in mine and my family's life. But more importantly, I think, in terms of what it's allowed me to do professionally is it's given me the creative freedom to be able to say what I want to say and not worry because worst case scenario, okay, you show up and you take away this job or that job. I own OutKick and my family's not going to go hungry. Yeah. When you were on uh, our radio show, I don't know what it was, a couple months ago, you talked about being able to monetize the hate. Yeah. You recognize that there was something to tap into there? Well, I think interest. You know, I think a lot of people talk about love and hate, and I think that matters, but I think another way to classify it is interest versus disinterest. And we're in an era where all that matters is interest. And so love That's and That's a Colin hate, Cowherd thing, is it not? Yeah, I mean, to a certain extent. I mean, love and hate is a form of interest. In a modern era, in order to pay attention to someone or something, you have to have interest in it. And so... Uh, but does that lead to... It's taking a stand on something you really don't give a damn I, I about, and, 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 and I, it's become the the the. I think it the can. centerpiece for the hot take. I think it can, but I, I that does I don't do that, right? I mean, that's what they wanted me to do at Fox. They're like, we think you're a great young Skip Bayless. I can't think of any opinion that I've ever had that I haven't actually believed. So right? like, okay, that's a big thing. That's a big thing. Just people are like he's doing this. I just for I, the but, sake of doing it because he sees the like you said. I, I hear I'm an opportunist. But, but, if I, I'm not. but the, the, the response to that would be, if I were an opportunist, I would have signed a multi-million dollar deal to become the next Skip Bayless, right? I mean, that's what they offered me the opportunity to do, just talk about sports and have uh, outlandish opinions. The other thing is, 
I might have an opinion that some people consider to be outlandish, but it's rooted in some sort of factual, you know, I can defend it. Mm -hmm. And also, unlike a guy like Skip Bayless, who maintains his position, no matter what the evidence suggests, right? I sort of look at sports as the equivalent of a legal argument. And every time that there is a new uh, data point, I will adjust my opinion. So uh, over the course of a football season, if I think this team is the best and then they play two games and they're pretty bad, I don't stick to I think this team is the best or I think this quarterback is the best. I'm constantly kind of evaluating and reexamining and adjusting whatever opinions I have. So, you know, I think there's different ways to sort of have constantly different opinions. To me, games are great times to check hypotheses. Like, I think this is going to happen because I believe this team is X. Mm-hmm. Well, if Y happens, then I got to go back into the lab and check and see why I had my initial opinion about that player. That Alabama coach or that Vanderbilt team. being an example. Yeah, like I mean, I thought I thought that based on the first three games of the season where Vanderbilt had looked very good, that they would cover 19 points, and Alabama comes out and scores 59. The next week, I said, you know what? If Alabama beat Vanderbilt like that, Ole Miss is in significant trouble. They beat them 66 to three. I think A and M's in trouble this coming weekend, right? Um, and now if A and M came back and suddenly won by 10, well, I would recalibrate my opinion of both A and M and Alabama. Mm-hmm. So uh, I I um, am committed to my opinion based on the evidence that exists at this moment. Mm-hmm. But when the evidence changes, I'll change my opinion, just like you would expect a lawyer who, when there's a new case precedent that comes down, you can't continue to argue the same thing without taking into account the case. So How- that, that I think that's kind of a pretty big distinction between me and somebody like Skip Bayless. This is something Will Leach, who founded uh, Deadspin, said in that political article that we made uh, reference to earlier. I don't know if he realizes that he can't go down this road and then come back, Will Leach told uh, the author, noting that as recently as 2014, Travis had emailed him wondering why Deadspin was attacking him. He wasn't this soulless monster then, but it's like Darth Vader now. Vader has more machine than man. Clay's more Pepe the Frog than man now. Added a fan of Travis's. He has prioritized, as he prioritized short-term money over long-term morality. Maybe he has. I, do, I just, first of all, all that stuff is funny. I mean... Will, to me, started a funny website at Deadspin. And when I went to become an editor at Deadspin, uh, I liked what Will Leach had created because I thought it stripped away the seriousness of sports. Somewhere along the way, Deadspin became very self-serious in the way that it takes itself. Um, And uh, what I had been told was that there was basically, it was funny, when I left Deadspin, the people at Gawker said, you know, uh, we're sorry, you know, like your career's over because people don't leave Deadspin and have more success after they leave. And that's what I was told. Uh, and they said, you know, unless they're leaving because they... What year do you leave Deadspin? Like 2008. Okay. Um, I'm the most successful person by far who's ever worked at Deadspin. I might be more successful than every person who's ever worked at Deadspin combined, right? And I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a ridiculous proposition. I guarantee you I make more money this year than everybody who's ever worked at Deadspin does combined. I guarantee you that I have a bigger audience than they all do, right? So I I just, I don't get that. In some sense of the word, like the only people who ever get criticized for not actually believing what they believe, it seems to me are conservative people. Like when somebody is uber liberal, I don't ever hear somebody say, oh, you know what they're doing? They're out there pretending to be uber liberal here because it's good for their career. What do you think on Bill Maher? Uh, I don't know. Uh, You know, I, I, I think he's really smart. You know, uh, I think he's somewhat similar to me in that he's middle of the road. Sometimes, you know, he surprises you Which, with Which, of his course, opinions. people are listening to that going, Clay is super conservative and Bill is super liberal. 
But Bill has some conservative yeah, positions, I think he's, I and you have more liberal positions. To me, it's more libertarian than anything right. else. I like I think that. most reasonable people are somewhere in between, and so I, I just think I just think you know those kind of criticisms are are funny. I mean, I don't worry about them. You know, one of the good things about being successful, I would say, is that at some point in time, the people who are criticizing you are 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 all a lot less successful than you are. You know, the advice that I always give kids when I go out and talk to them around at college is. People, regardless of what you do for a living, it's very rare that people who are more successful than you are will criticize you because I think a lot of criticism is rooted in jealousy, right? It's people who wish that they were as successful as somebody else. And so they're trying to take shots at them and pull them back down to their level. And so I've always said this. I mean, I've never had a critic who's more successful than me. You know, if, uh, if suddenly like Howard Stern started criticizing me, I'd be like, man, why is he coming after me? You know, like maybe I'll consider like what his criticism is. If Tony Kornheiser wrote a 2000 word op-ed where he's like, Clay Travis is an awful human being, like who needs to reconsider everything that he's doing. I don't think I would change any of my opinions, but I would read that and I'd be like, man, I like Tony Kornheiser. You know, he's really smart, great writer, did radio incredibly well, very good at television, like a triple threat. I would contemplate that, but so far it's never happened. I've See, now, never if been Stern criticized. Stern came after me, and I would think you would think the same way on this thing. Like if he came after me, I'm like, this is great. He's punching well, down, I'd and I'm going to play it up and utilize I, but, it to. But I would be. But the point is that that very rarely happens, right? Like, I mean, because he would, knows better, because he knows not to punch down. Yeah, and also I think because the more successful you are, the less time you worry about other yes. people. But that's the thing. So here's the thing. It seems like we're some, and I can speak. I, I the reason I hardly tweet. I'm just like, I just don't want to deal with the crap. No. You, I love it. You love it. Yeah, I mean, I like I've said before, I'm Brer Rabbit. You know, I like getting thrown into the briar patch. I like being in the mud. Um, I enjoy being in the center of controversy. Uh, not necessarily me being the center of controversy, but I enjoy like debating controversial subjects, thinking about them intelligently, all those things. Um, and, and this is 100% true. I mean, I just don't care what people think about me, right? I mean, I care what my wife thinks. I care what my boys think, who I live with every single day that are inside of my house. Um, otherwise, it just doesn't really, I mean, maybe that's rare. I don't know. My wife says it's rare to go to a dinner party and leave and not sit around like thinking, oh, did those people like me? Did they dislike me? Like, I just, I'm very comfortable in my own skin. And, you know, if you like me, then I'm like, okay, that's great. If you don't like me, then it's really not going to bother me at all. And I think that's just, I don't know. I don't know why that is. I think I've always been that way. Um, And, uh, and, you know, I think that helps me in the modern media environment. I mean, if I pull up my phone right now, and check my Twitter mentions. I mean, I'm sure that there are people telling me to go kill myself, right? Like, but it just doesn't, like, it, it doesn't, it, my blood pressure doesn't change, right? Like, um, and so, uh, and so when I see, you know, those criticisms or whatever else, like, it just doesn't really register. You know, criticisms register, I think, when you are, I, I've used this example before. I remember being around the same age before I started OutKick, being at a minor league baseball game, AAA. And sitting there in the stands, and everybody was heckling the AAA players, uh, you know, because you go yeah. to a minor league baseball yeah, team, game, and that's what happens, right? And I remember thinking that I had a lot in common with the AAA baseball players because they're so close to making the major leagues, but they may or may not be able to do it, right? And you don't know what their future is going to be, but they're so close they can see like their lifelong dreams being realized. And I felt like I was in that same kind of space, and so I could feel probably the frustrations that those minor league baseball players would have felt because they're so close to being in the major leagues and they're getting ripped. I would say now I'm in the major leagues. And if you're in the major leagues and people boo you when you come up to bat, you're like, 
my check ain't bouncing, right? Like I'm literally playing at the up at the top level. So I think criticism to me matters more when you haven't really gotten to the point where you can make a living doing what you do. But right? before you were killing it, now, did it bother you? It didn't bother because it, you were in, the, it, it, in it that kind of AAA realm for a few years. It didn't bother me, but I noticed it. Yeah. Right now, I almost don't even notice it, right? right? Because it's like I'm, I have what I think is the best job in America. So when people take shots at me, it's like I've already got the best job in America. Like, how is this going to impact me in any way? You know, for a long time when you're climbing, trying to get to a place where you can just make a living doing what you do. Remember, I was making $40,000. You know, I'm worried about taking care of my family. Now, you know, like I've got just a, such a great life, in my opinion, that the negativity that somebody else is trying to put upon me, again, to me, that's a function of their own projection more than it's about me. I hate to sound like karmic about it, but it just doesn't, to me, criticism like that is predicated on somebody else's uncomfortable uncomfortableness, if that's a word, with where you are as opposed to your own status. So it just doesn't impact me. You said your your wife's opinion, of course, your kids' yeah. opinion matter, and she's quoted as saying he might be looked at as the person who supported <laughs> Trump when he went after black athletes. I hope he's not remembered for that well, I in think, history. I think those quotes, I always think it's like in retrospect, what I'm going to start doing uh, either one, like, I don't know the value of do, allowing people to do profiles on you in general. I think it's good because it puts you in front of a new audience. But what I think I need to start doing in the future is just recording the full interview and just, like I'm fine talking here because you guys are going to put out the full interview and everybody can hear the context of everything that I say. But profiles by their nature are artificial because I talked to that guy for 10 hours, right? My wife might talk to him for 30 minutes. And a lot of people, when they write profiles, have designated goals in mind. And so I would uh, like much more, I think, rather read a transcript of everything that I said to that guy over the course of seven hours than the seven minutes of quotes that he might pull out of that. And I think similarly for my wife, you know, I mean, she's not in the business of talking for a living. Was she misquoted? I don't think she was misquoted. I think she was quoted out of context. I think if you read what she said for 30 minutes, uh -huh. you'd be like, okay, like 95% of this was positive and 5% of it was negative. And I think what she did was just rephrase his question to her. And then the guy's like, oh, I'm going to take that quote and, you know, like, use the, the you don't you don't see the leading nature of the question it sounds like something that she's just kind of extemporaneously coming up with mm -hmm. and uh and i think that's a uh i think that's an in in you know like in uh inauthentic version of what that conversation would have gone like and i think if people were curious about that and how kind of the the sausage is made so to speak they can go read you know jason martin my producer felt like he was horribly untaken out of context in his quotes. And I feel I like, I don't care what people say about me. Like I said earlier, because I've said so much over the years that I think it's hard for people. They read a quote from me and be like, Oh my God, I can't believe Clay Travis said that. Cause I've said so much, right. but I do think when, you know, your wife gets quoted or your producer on your radio show gets quoted, like those people don't have defined brands or defined, you know, kind of ideals of what they represent. And so I think they're kind of, it's easier to take advantage of them. Did it so, bother you when they read that? Or then your wife go, I didn't say that. Here's what happened. No, I mean, she just, she just told me, I mean, she said, I mean, I knew based on the questions that that was the, the goal was, oh, Clay Travis is this alt-right, you know, like, you know, as if like, there's a lot of alt-right guys out there that are pro-choice and worked for Al Gore and, you know, uh, are middle of the road. But I mean, I understand that that's kind of their goal is to kind of paint you in a, in a particular way.
And so, no, I mean, I, I, I said, like, what were the questions when, when you talked? And she said, and I was like, okay, well, I'm telling you what they're going to use is this angle. But I do think from a uh, kind of behind-the-scenes perspective, me pulling out my phone and hitting record and then having, like, a court transcript done of everything that's written for people who are curious that want to see what was actually said, I think you, then you can go see the agenda at play more. And I think it's probably something that I'll do going forward. And when we do what we do for a living, we we know what's going on on the other end of it. Yeah, like, like you said, I your wife, your producer like, might not be familiar with the Yeah, and, and also they're not necessarily, you know, um, I'm comfortable combating questions, right? If somebody mm-hmm. says, hey, what do you think about this? Like he said, oh, you know, like you, he asked me the same question. He's like, do you feel like you need to choose a side like, uh, in this Donald Trump era, you know, that like in history is going to judge people who don't say that Donald Trump is an awful person. Like this is an incredibly dangerous time in our his- nation's history. And my response is to th- that's laughable, right? Because I, I'm a history guy. And, you know, right now we have the highest stock market of all time. We have one of the lowest employment rates of all time. Per capita, people have never earned more per, you know, average household than in the history of the country, Right. And so to compare now with, say, 1968 or, God forbid, the Civil War or World War II in terms of the danger that the country faces, like 1968, people are like, oh, this time is a lot like 1968. And I'm like, wait a minute. We were at war in Vietnam. Uh, JFK had been killed five years earlier. Robert Kennedy was killed in 1968 and Martin Luther King was killed in 1968. The idea that this modern era is anything like 1968 right now is laughably absurd to anyone who has ever studied history. The idea that the 2016 presidential election between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, when you read American history, I mean, look, we had an election during World War II. Uh, We had an election, um, we had a president die during World War II and another president take over who has to make the decision about what to do in the war Pacific, right? We had, I mean, that's a pretty big deal, right? To have a president die in the arms of his mistress, by the way, in Powder Springs, Georgia. And then we have like the Civil War, 1864, We've got an election to decide whether or not the war is going to continue between Abraham Lincoln and George McClellan. Like those elections have really big stakes. Donald Trump is just kind of incompetent as a president. It's not necessarily a bad thing, right? The stock market's surging because I think a lot of people believe that that it's better to have an incompetent president who's not going to fuck things up than to have a president who thinks that he or she is a genius and tries to change everything and in the process messes up the economy. So, uh, you know, I just think in context that that all of that stuff is uh, is important to consider. And so I don't buy into the premise of the question. But when I hear the premise of that question, I immediately refute it and sh- shoot it down. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people, when they're talking to a reporter, they're trying to avoid conflict. And they are more likely to follow the premise of the question which allows the questioner to kind of dictate what the story is. Yeah, that makes sense. I would imagine you've got to get threats of violence. You've had to have gotten. I mean, you retweet like the asinine. Yeah, and I, but I, you know, I mean, what can you do? You know, I mean, well, I like, just it's like, like I don't. I mean, I get it. Again, you're you're now getting it from all over the country. I get it, and it's kind of like, all right, whatever. This guy was parked outside my house. He took a picture. Oh, this guy just t- took a picture of my wife. Sent it. It's like, you know, it's threatening. Yeah, I hate it because it brings the family. Yeah, in. The, the the wife so and kids you, are the, what Yeah, I mean, me. so what but, happens like for your wife's I, name's Laura, correct? Yeah, I mean, uh, does she go? Oh my God, this is I mean, freaking I've got me out. Twenty million dollars in life insurance. <laughs> so she's like, <laughs> if I get killed, my family is set for the next three generations. So that actually right? goes through your head. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I mean, I, I what I have tried to do in my life is live 
in a manner where I don't fear anything, right? And because to me, if you sit around worried about what other people are going to do to you, then it changes the way you live. No, I get and it, but that's giving, you. But what about yeah. your wife? Does it freak her out? I mean, your uh, kids, can they even do they even know, you know? Yeah, the, I mean, like, I, I, I really don't. First of all, I don't think that the, the threats of violence are legitimate. I think it's cartoonish. I think it's social media. But there are crazy people out there, right? And so if somebody makes a threat to me, I block them. And uh, hopefully, like, they go find somebody else to be obsessed with. I mean, I, I just really don't know. I'm not going to change the way I am because somebody wants to threaten me because that's what they're trying to get me to do, right? The premise behind a threat is trying to change your behavior. And if I allow them to change my behavior, then they've won. Um, I've never had a negative word said to me face to face. Um, so I tend to think that. Really? Is that right? Yeah, really? totally true. You know, I've been writing online since 2004. Uh, now people come up and say, oh, I disagree with you about X or Y. And they're civil in it? It's never uh, like, yeah, I mean, hey, that, man, that even fuck happened. you. What are that, you saying no. that shit for? That, that never, that, that, never I'm happens. surprised by that. that I had a happens. guy when I said, we're doing this event with Clay Travis and we're going to do a podcast. He was like pissed that I was interviewing you, you know. And I'm <laughs> but like, again, that's Twitter muscles. If that guy, no, but no, he sent he sent an email. It was it was relatively civil, but but I'm just like God. Like even if I disagree with somebody, I still want to sit down and be able to bullshit with. Yeah, them. I mean, I just I I just I don't. Again, I mean, threats are predicated on trying to silence people, and so I just I personally don't worry too much about them. I mean, so, I've got like I said, twenty million dollars in life insurance, so uh, <laughs> my family's going to be taken care of forever. Did you move out of your place in downtown Nashville? Was yeah, that, was that an accurate portrayal, or is that no, also that's, that's true? But I mean, we also needed more space, um, and uh, I think a lot of people in Nashville look. There are a lot more famous people than me in Nashville, and if I'm in danger, then Justin Timberlake, who lives down the road from me, is in a lot more danger, right? Mm -hmm. Justin Timberlake's rolling around in Nashville with no no protection at all, right? Uh, Miley Cyrus lives across the street. Like, if I'm in danger, then Miley Cyrus has got a lot more crazy fans and people who like or dislike her than I do. Um, you know, like I, I just, I think you live your life, you mm -hmm. know, and if people decide that they don't like you, um, then I don't know that you can stop somebody crazy from deciding to make a crazy decision. So I don't worry about it. Yeah. Final thought will. And again, other people, I guess this was an anonymous person, an, a fan of Travis's who knows if this is real or not. Do you know who that person was, by the way? Who was this? Yeah, quoted in the article, added a fan of Travis's. He has prioritized short-term money over long-term morality. Maybe he has. Oh, I don't know who that is. Okay. But I mean, I, I don't even know what that means. Like, I again, if I, I do every day, I try to do the best, most entertaining show that I possibly can. Uh, I have never been somebody who says in five years I want to do X or in 10 years I want to do X. I want to every day, every week, every month do the best possible show that I can and be as honest as I possibly can. Yeah. So uh, I, I don't think about where I'm going to be in 10 years. I don't think about where I'm going to be in five years, right? If the trend lines continue right now, in five years will be absolutely massive beyond belief compared to where we were five years ago. If they don't, and if we stall out and I stay right where I am, I'm incredibly happy right where I am. Like, I think I've got the best job in America. I got three happy, healthy kids. Uh, I got a wife who sometimes is okay with me. Other times she <laughs> hates me like every other <laughs> husband out there. And uh, I think I got a, just a, a fantastic life. Yeah. So this idea that, you know, like, and maybe a lot of other people think more about where they want to be in five years or where they want to be in 10 years. I worry more about doing a good job where I am right now. And then everything else will take care of it. You know what? I'm 38. 
Uh, at this rate, I could be fully retired, never have to work again by 45, right? That's not a bad life. We just bought a beach place. You know, I can kick back, have beers, live on the beach. You know, like uh, I got three young boys, go to all their athletic events, hang out. Like I, again, like I, I think I've got a great gig, but I tend to think that lots of opportunities reveal themselves over the years. And, uh, you know, I, so far I'm very happy with where I am. I wouldn't change anything. Um, and, uh, and I've gotten here by trusting my instincts. I don't plan on tr- changing that primary goal. Clay Travis. Appreciate it, man. Appreciate y'all having me. Thanks Thank a lot. you. So there it is. Clay Travis on the Tim McKernan show, uh, all kinds of things, uh, discussed there. And uh, I always welcome any feedback, positive, negative. It does not matter. Uh, ideally the discourse is civil, but if it's not, so be it. That's kind of the nature of the beast. You can email me at T McKernan at inside STL. Dot com T-M-C-K-E-R-N-A-N at InsideSTL.com. So as you heard, Clay and I talked about, you know, the the, the issues he deals with on Twitter, uh, people attacking him, uh, how he values really only his wife and kids' opinions, and how he uh, explained uh, the quote from his wife in Politico. And so it kind of got deep. And, and, the, and the goal was to get into as much as he was comfortable getting into, again, regarding his career and the perception of him and also his strategy in building his brand. But, uh, you know, you never know, because that, that was the first time I had met Clay. We'd communicated plenty with him being on on my show in St. Louis and then also via email. Um, but when you don't ask in questions where it pertains to family and so on, you never know how that's going to work. So uh, as I said at the outset, Clay was in St. Louis for an event, and the event uh, went on throughout the course of the evening. And later on in the night, he came up to me and was very complimentary of the questions and the conversation. Because I think when he sat down, I think, and we haven't discussed this, but I think he thought I was going to ask about, you know, like I said, we're in St. Louis, ask about Missouri's football program, potentially the protests in Columbia in 2015. You know, Alabama, Clemson, whatever. Uh, And that isn't the direction we went. And so I appreciate his openness. uh, And I appreciate the fact that he was comfortable uh, with me in getting into some topics that uh, I hadn't heard him discuss before. And I think a number of people were curious because they follow him. And I've had so many people come out. I love Clay Travis. Or as I said, uh, I can't believe you're interviewing Clay Travis. So he's polarizing, but you heard his thought process and you heard him say, and he said it to me later that night when there were no microphones around. Uh, he said, I have never said anything I don't believe. So that is Clay Travis for better or for worse. You heard from him and, uh, and you're welcome to form your own opinion. And like I said, you're welcome to email me anytime with positive, negative feedback, whatever the case might be. T McKernan at inside stl.com. Enjoyed the conversation. I hope you did as well. We'll continue to turn those out for you as we had uh, Gary Pinkle as our first guest, St. Louis Cardinal writer Derek Gould as our second guest, and former United States Senator and former U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations, uh, Jack Danforth as our third guest. A pleasure to have Clay Travis as our fourth here in the early going on the Tim McKernan Show. A new interview every Monday for you here on the program. Please subscribe on iTunes or you can listen on InsideSTL.com and enjoy the radio program at any time. It's a podcast for you and your enjoyment whenever you would want on-demand audio for you here with The Tim McKernan Show. For my producer, John Seymour, The Seamaster, I'm Tim McKernan. Thank you for tuning in to The Tim McKernan Show.